0: Hey, thanks for tuning in to New Glasgow Christian Church. My name is Stephen Weatherby, and I'm the pastor here at NGCC, a small rural church with a big heart located in central Prince Edward Island, Canada. We're glad you're here. This week, we are continuing our series of messages on the letters to the seven churches found in Revelation two and three. When people talk about Revelation, they usually spend most of their time trying to figure out how the world is going to end and where we are on a prophetic timeline. But that is not the question that we should be asking. Join us as we study God's Word and ask the question that truly matters. In light of the future that God has promised, what should we be doing here and now to be faithful to Him? I grew up during the release of the Harry Potter novel series. I love to read, but Harry Potter was really what gave me that first love of reading. I remember I would wait impatiently every year, or every two years, for each new book to come out. And and as soon as it did, as soon as I could get my hands on it, I would sit down and read the whole thing in one sitting, or two sittings. I would just stop for meals and washroom breaks, but I would just read the whole book through. Then I would watch and criticize the movies as they came out. And I would poke all the uh, holes in the the storyline, and all the inaccuracies uh, compared to the books. I remember one year, my mom bought me the latest Harry Potter book for my birthday. Uh, But the book came out in July. My birthday was in October. So she gave me my birthday gift three months early because she knew there was absolutely no possible way I could wait until October to read it. Now, I don't know how many times I've read those books over the years. Uh, most of them are duct-taped together, uh, and I could pretty much quote all of them by heart, definitely the earlier ones. And over Christmas, I was looking through some of my books. I picked one up and flipped through it. Uh, and it made me think back to when I first read them when I was a kid, and, and the joy and anticipation of finding out what would happen next, of waiting for the next book to come out, and the passion... Uh, and how much it would just suck you into the story. And I thought to myself, it would be so great, it would be so cool to be able to read those stories again and experience them as if it was the first time. Now sometimes as the church, uh, over time, it's not an intentional thing, but sometimes uh, over a period of time, the church can slowly begin to lose that love Passion or spark that we had when we first encountered Jesus. We still go through all the things we're supposed to do as the church. We we meet together, we study our Bible, all those good things. But that love that we had, the, the love that drives us forward as the church, the love that spurns us on to love each other, the love of Jesus, can slowly start to fade if we're not careful. Last week, we began a sermon series, studying the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. And we learned that these letters, while they were recorded by John, were actually spoken to him and dictated to him by Jesus. But not the Jesus in the Gospels. Now, this was a terrifying and awe-inspiring image of Jesus, in a form that proclaims his omniscience, his power, his authority, and his holiness. Now, each of these letters takes a sort of form, which we're going to see as we go through this series. Uh, And and what I mean by a form is that there's a structure. Uh, Usually there's things that they're doing that are good, there's things that the churches are doing that are bad, and there's a response that they're supposed to apply to their lives as a result of what they were doing good and bad, and that's uh, supposed to lead them towards what Jesus calls being victorious or being an overcomer. Now what we'll see is that not all of the churches were doing good things, and not all the churches were doing bad things. There's three churches that have both good and bad, there's two churches that are just doing good things, and there's two churches that just have bad things going for them. The letter we're going to look at today is the letter to Ephesus, and this church in their letter has all three. They were doing some things that were good, and Jesus commends them for it. There were also some things they were doing that were bad, primarily that they had lost what Jesus calls their first love. See, the church in Ephesus was really focused on doing the right things, working hard, enduring under trials, and turning away false teachers. But in the process of being zealous, they lost their first love, both for each other and for Jesus. Like that cornflakes commercial we started with. They needed to re-experience the love of Jesus in their lives and in their hearts for the first time, as if it was the first time. They needed to rekindle that love in their hearts if they wanted to be victorious or to overcome as a church. Now, there's one more thing I want to remind us all of before we get into this first letter, and that's the four filters that we talked about last week. Now, if you weren't able to tune in last week, I want you um, to keep these filters in mind. The whole point of these filters is that everything we read through this series, uh, should be you should be asking these questions and reminding yourself of these things, uh, everything that you read. So the first filter, or the first thing to remember as we go through this, is a question. It's a question you should be asking. Everything you read in Revelation, you should be asking this question. In light of the future that God has promised his people, what would he have us do now in order to be faithful to him? The second filter, or the thing to remember, is who these letters are written to. Last week we talked about the number seven, and how the seven number, um, the series of seven things in scripture, means full and complete. And so... Because we have a number seven uh, in this this first few chapters of Revelation referring to the churches, the seven churches, seven lampstands that refer or represent the churches, um, we have to remember that that means full and complete. So yes, these are written to seven historical churches, but they're they're also written to the full and complete church, and that includes New Glasgow Christian Church. These letters are written to you and me, So we have to remember that. Every word that we read, we have to remember these letters are for you. The third thing we have to to filter everything through or remember as we study these letters is who is speaking these words. So there's this picture of Jesus that we looked at last week. And it's this awe-inspiring and terrifying image of the Son of Man. Now, Jesus reveals himself to John in this form because he wants us to remember his power, his authority, his knowledge of all our actions and deeds, and his holiness. So as we read these words and apply them to our lives, remember, they're written to you and me, and they're spoken to us by Jesus, not just uh, the Jesus that walks with us uh, in human form, which he did. But also this picture of Jesus as uh, of God, um, this mighty uh, warrior image, uh, this all-knowing. He knows all our deeds and actions. That is the Jesus who's speaking these words to us. And the fourth thing that you need to remember as we go through these letters is that there is a blessing on us as we study them. That blessing's from chapter 1, verse 3. And basically, John says, everyone who hears the words in Revelation and obeys them, does what they say, that person will be blessed. So as we study these words and as we apply them to our lives, there is a blessing on us. And that's encouraging. So with all that, let's dive in and we'll read this letter to the first church, Ephesus. So it starts off by saying, write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but are not. You have discovered that they are liars, and you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you you have forsaken your first love. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Therefore, look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans, just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. So that's the letter to this church in Ephesus, and I want to start off by talking about Ephesus a little bit, just to kind of give everyone a picture of uh, what this city was about, what it was like. So in the first century, Ephesus was a huge port city. And most of these um, cities were centers of some kind, but Ephesus was the most important of all these uh, seven cities that received the letters from Jesus. It was a huge trade hub. And it was a cultural and religious center. In the city of Ephesus, there was a huge temple to Artemis. Uh, and this temple was... Um, so massive that it was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Now today there's just a few rocks and a couple pillars left on the site of the former temple. Uh, But there's this picture that we'll put up and it's an artist's impression of what this temple might have looked like in the first century. You can see how tall the columns are compared to the people walking up the steps. Now, there was a Jewish synagogue in Ephesus, which means there must have been at least a half-decent number of Jewish families in the city, because you could only have a synagogue if you had a certain number of families. Now, Paul first visited Ephesus on his second missionary trip, and he preached to the people in the synagogue when he got there. And then he said that he'd come back, and then he did. He came back on his third missionary trip and planted the Ephesian church. He first started off by preaching in the synagogue again, but then eventually the the local Jewish population got tired of him, and so he started holding daily discussions at the local lecture hall in the city. He stayed with them for two years, and during that time the church grew exponentially. Eventually so many people came to Jesus during his time there that the local silversmiths, um, these craftsmen who would make uh, little idols that you'd sell at at the Temple to Artemis, they were losing money on sales because so many people were becoming Christians that the Temple of Artemis was losing its uh, its base of people. So they got really angry and started a huge riot in that local lecture hall, the theater. And that theater is still standing today. You should be able to see a picture of it on your screen. You can imagine how many people could fit in this theater if the whole city was in an uproar. Now, after that, Paul decided it was time to leave. But by that point, the church was really big and strong in the city, and the impact of Christianity in Ephesus lasted for centuries. Some of the early church councils were held there. Now, by the time we get to the writing of Revelation, uh, we're about 50 years or so past when the church was planted, past uh, when all that stuff took place, the riots and everything. Uh, So they're fairly well established. They've had time to build a reputation um, as followers of Jesus. So with all that said, let's take a look at this letter. There's that introduction at the start. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. The one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. So we see Jesus begins by reiterating who these letters come from. And it's that son-of-man image that we had up on the screen earlier. These letters come from Jesus, who has all authority, all power. He has all knowledge of our deeds, and he is perfect and holy. He wants us and them to know that these words come from him, and that we should not take them lightly. But he tells John to write this letter to the angel of the Ephesian church. And, And that kind of seems a little weird when we're reading this in English. Because, you know, when we see angel, we think like a winged uh, creature that, you know, God created to worship him and to send messages to us. So does this mean that the churches each have a guardian angel? Uh, I don't think that's what he's saying. See, the Greek word for angel literally means messenger or a deliverer of official messages. And so it does make sense that We call God's angels angels because they're usually messengers to us from God. But here in these letters, it's much more likely, and and contextually it makes a lot more sense, uh, if these angels or messengers are just human messengers who are delivering these letters to the seven churches. That said, uh, that is subjective, so we don't know for sure what that means, uh, but that's what I think is the most likely So then we come to verses 2 and 3, and remember I mentioned that form these letters take, so this is the first part, this is the good, what they're doing right. The first thing Jesus does is acknowledge that they are doing some things right as a church. He says, I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who claim they are apostles but are not. You've discovered that they are liars, and you've patiently suffered for me without quitting. So there's four commendations. They're commended for their hard work, their perseverance and patience, their inability to tolerate evil people, and for testing false prophets and apostles and proving them to be liars. And there's a second part to the commendation that comes later, and I'm just going to read that now. That's in verse 6. He says, you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, we don't actually know much about that group, the Nicolaitans, uh, who they were, what they believed. Uh, but, But what is clear is that the church in Ephesus was known, they had a reputation for being pure and for not tolerating heresy or sinfulness. Back when Paul first planted this church in Acts 20, he warns them about these false teachers who would come to them. He says in Acts 20, verses 29 to 31, I know that false teachers, like vicious wolves, will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to gain a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you. My constant watch and care. And care over you night and day, and my many tears for you. So, Paul gave them this warning, and clearly they had taken it to heart. For 50 years, they had not taken their faith lightly. They understood that being a Christian required things of them, and they had worked hard. So, for that, they receive a commendation. In the face of all the things they had to face uh, the persecution, the false teachers they never quit. But then in verse 4, we get to the second part, the bad, what they're doing wrong. Despite everything that he has had to commend them for as a church, there is something that Jesus has against them. In verse 4, he says, but I have this complaint against you. You have forsaken your first love. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. That word forsaken, the Greek word that's used there, is a very, very strong word. And it means to leave or abandon. Regardless of everything they're doing right, this is a very big problem as the church. The highest command in Scripture is the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And Jesus says the second highest command is to love your neighbor as yourself. See, you can be doing all the right things. You can be trying to be a good, holy, and upstanding person. You can study your Bible every day and live in pursuit of having sound doctrine, refuting false truth whenever it creeps up. You can persevere in doing all those things throughout the worst of circumstances. And that's not bad. Jesus commends the Ephesians for all these things. But without love... Specifically, the love of Jesus, but also without the love for our fellow Christian and our fellow human. Those other things are inadequate. They're not enough if you don't have love. So then we come to the third part of this letter, the response, or what they need to do. So how do we know that what they are doing is not enough with their love? Well, in verse 5, we see why. I'm going to use the NIV this time. So he says, Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. This is their call to change. This is their answer to the question that we asked at the beginning. In light of the future, God has promised, what would he have us do now in order to be faithful to him? Now for the Ephesians, they lost their love. These words in verse 5 are directly from the mouth of Jesus, so they should not be taken lightly. So in the face of that, they need to do three things, according to this verse. First, remember from where you have fallen. Now in the New Testament, calls to remember were not just simple uh, mental acts of recalling something in your mind. They're they're calls to recognize or rekindle something. They, they, They need to literally look back to when they were first saved, when they first felt the love and the mercy of Jesus in their lives, and recognized how far they had fallen from their love for him since that day. It's a call to stop, look around you, and recognize with brutal honesty where you are at. Before they can do anything else, they have to be honest with themselves. Second, they need to repent. And we often today speak of repentance as if it's apologizing or saying sorry for doing something bad and asking for forgiveness. And I think that's a part of it, but it doesn't really capture the full picture of biblical repentance. The definition of the word repent is this. To renounce what you are doing now and embrace where you are supposed to be. So that's what they have to do. They have to truly repent. They have to renounce what they're doing now, living without the love of Jesus in their lives, and embrace where they're supposed to be. They have to embrace the love of Jesus. Now, the third thing they have to do is do the things they did at first. Now we know from Jesus' commendation that they were doing a lot of things. But clearly there were things that they used to do, that they're not doing anymore. And considering that the difference is that they'd forsaken their first love, according to Jesus, we can assume that these were actions or deeds born out of their love for Jesus and their love for each other. Actions spurned on by love. Then we get to the scary part of the letter. And that's the consequence. Or what will happen if they don't do these things? The consequences for failing to repent and returning to their first love. Verse 5b, he says, If you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. You may remember from last week that the lampstands represent the seven churches. When Jesus says he will remove their lampstand, he literally means that he will remove their church from its place. That's pretty scary. The fact that these are the words of Jesus saying, if we don't repent of our sins, he will remove our church from its place. Now on the surface, the church in Ephesus was a very successful church plant. They were zealous defenders of their faith, they were growing exponentially, and they were in one of the most prestigious uh, locations and cities in Asia Minor. And yet Jesus is threatening to remove them from their place because of improper motivation. They weren't motivated by their love for Jesus anymore. But the only motivation that we should have for anything we do as the church is our love for Jesus. And then finally we come to these concluding remarks. And and you're going to notice as we go through these letters there's kind of a pattern to the way that each of these letters uh, ends. So in verse 7, Jesus says, Whoever has ears to hear let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And notice it says churches, not church. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. If you have ears to hear, hear, this is something that Jesus said a lot during his ministry. If your heart is open and receptive If you are willing to hear what the Spirit of God has to say to you, to the churches, then hear these words he has to say. And then he says to the one who is victorious, or in the Greek, the one who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life in paradise. All right, so that's the first letter to the church in Ephesus. And during these messages in this series, I I don't really want to talk too much about application. Uh, I would rather that you all think through these words of Jesus on your own, and and think about the application on your own, and ask the questions on your own, and let the Spirit speak to you in your life. Now what I would like to do is remind you of those four filters, uh, to, to apply that to what we've read And then I want to give you a couple of my thoughts on this letter before we wrap up. So as you're thinking through the words of this letter, remember that these words come from the Son of Man, all-powerful, all-knowing, holy, and mighty. They are written to the church in Ephesus in the first century, but they are also written to the full and the complete church, including NGCC. So let's talk about the church today, the, the Big C Church the global church. Currently, there are over 45,000 Christian denominations in the world. Over 2,000 years, we have fought and divided from each other again and again. We get so focused on doctrine, discrediting false teachers, and correcting beliefs and opinions that we've forgotten the entire reason why we study these things in the first place. Now, I want to be very, very clear I am not saying that any of those things are bad. Remember, Jesus commends the Ephesian church for those very things. But the question I think we have to ask ourselves, reading this letter, is this. In the process of doing those things, are we guilty of forsaking our love of Christ and our love for each other as the church in this world? And are we personally guilty of that? Jesus says that the one who is victorious, or the one who overcomes, will be given the right to eat from the tree of life. But he also says that the church that fails to repent of forsaking their first love will have their lampstand taken away. So, with that, I'll ask that filtering question one more time. And I'll leave it to you to think over all of these things. In light of the future that God has promised, what would he have us do now in order to be faithful to him? So as we wrap up today, and as you think through these words and apply these words of Jesus to your life, keep asking that question. And remember that God will bless you in the process. And remember that he is watching over you, protecting you, and keeping you from harm. Psalm 121, 5-8 says, The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you my day, nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forever. Once again, thanks for tuning in. We hope that this week's teaching was a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you live in the New Glasgow area, we would love for you to come and to join us for our Sunday gathering. For information on service time, location, and more, check out our website at ngcc.ca. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.